Morning. Um, I'm really excited about jumping into this message today. I think it's really helpful for me. Hopefully it'll be helpful for you. Um, but there's a couple things uh, I, I want to emphasize that I don't usually take the time to do. One is that um, we, we're really big fans of the Bible. I don't know if you know that. We really think it's really important. And uh, we think everyone should take some time to learn and study together in, in groups. And so we have opportunities for that every Sunday morning. If you're not aware of that, we have classes at 9 o'clock and at 1030. We have a new round of classes coming up in January. And it's a great time to start a new habit. If you're used to only coming here for one service, maybe you start a new habit and you come for two next year and uh, go to one of these classes that are available. So there's a card out in the lobby and at our next steps area that has the uh, descriptions of all the classes that we have available. So go and find one of these and pick one. You don't have to sign up. You can just show up, but we'd love for you to to be a part of that. And I also wanted to mention, we had uh, a wedding yesterday. Uh, Justin and Katie got married and yay. and uh, there will be a reception for them here this afternoon at 5.30. So they, they want all of you to come out, if you can, and just celebrate with them. So come on out at 5.30, and uh, let's just um, honor them and celebrate with them for this exciting time in their lives. It is here. Um, thank you, Jeff. In the gym. So uh, this uh, series is um, exciting to me because, I, for one thing, I love talking about, about Christmas, but... Um, our focus over the next few weeks is to talk about how it's not just a historical event that happened once a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? This, this still matters today. What Jesus did coming into the world, what God was saying to all of us when this took place, it still matters today. And there, there's power and there's life change that comes from this message of Christmas still today. And so I want us to take some time to focus on how is, how is the, the truth of Christmas making an impact in your life today? So one of the ways that I think that happens is that it's a, it's a small beginning. Do you, do you have small beginnings in your story? Um, when I went back to college, I, I went to college for three semesters uh, at a small Bible college, and I left, and I wasn't going to go back. And then I went back it's a whole another story. And when I went back, it kind of felt like being a new student, and, and I was meeting people, and there was a new class of freshmen come in. And one day as I was leaving the Student Activity Center, this girl was coming in as I was leaving. We kind of bumped into each other. And the first thing I noticed about her was her shoes. I promise, first thing I noticed was her shoes. Because we were wearing the same shoes. And I thought that was awesome. I thought, man, she's got good taste. She's got style. I like it. And so I pointed it out. I was like, look. We're wearing the same shoes. Isn't that cool? And she was like, yeah, sure is. And I, I, met, I imagine she was also thinking, um, why is he wearing lady shoes? I wonder why <laughs> he's wearing. But um, we started a friendship, and a few years later, I asked her to marry me, and here she sits. So it, it was a small thing. It just started with wearing the same shoes. A coincidence, I don't know what happened. Very small beginning and led to something that's had a huge impact on, on my life in a positive way and on her life in ways uh, that are, I'm sure are good. And do you, you have those things in your story too, right? You have those small beginnings. Those, it seemed like a coincidence. It seemed really trivial at the time and then it, it led to something big. 
That's how God works. And I think the evidence is right here in the Christmas story. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 and uh, see how God starts small and maybe what that means for us today. Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, I think, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. That's it. That, that's, that's the birth of Jesus story. It seems really short when you think about the impact that this story has in our world today. I mean, we, we spend, I don't know, four or five weeks a year out of 52 talking about this story. And Luke spent seven verses out of a thousand in his gospel. Uh, it's, it seems like a small thing that's turned into something really big. Most of you couldn't tell the birth story of your own children in seven verses, right? Like if you had to tell somebody how they were born, when I, when I talk about how my kids were born, uh, especially Cal, because at one point I didn't think he was going to be born, and then he did, and it was great. And I can't tell that in seven verses. And yet somehow Luke squeezed it all down into this really short thing. Why, why is it so small here? And how has it become so big? I love how Luke kind of zooms out and he shows us a big picture of what, what's happening in the world and he reminds his readers, hey, the Roman Empire is in charge here. And this guy named Caesar Augustus, who everyone knew and history knows as the one who, who started the Pax Romana, the time of peace for the whole empire. Caesar Augustus was a big deal. And Luke's just reminding us this all happened in a real time, in a real place when the Roman Empire was the big thing. That, that's... If you were going to look for something big to happen during this time in human history, you would have looked in Rome. You would have looked maybe in Caesar Augustus's palace for something big to happen. And then Luke zooms in and he shows us this little nothing town and this little unnamed, unknown couple. And this is the beginning of the story that changed the world. I think Luke doesn't spend a lot of time here because for the early church and as Christianity was kind of spreading and getting started, their focus was on the death and resurrection of Jesus, kind of the end of the story. They, for them, Easter was a much bigger deal than Christmas. And if I'm really honest, it's, I feel that way. I like Christmas. It's fine. It's good, you know. But man, Easter, I get pretty pumped about Easter. But I think the reason why it starts so small is because this is just sort of how God does things. It's a reminder that when, when we're not paying attention is usually when God is working. When our eyes are focused somewhere else, maybe we're thinking like Rome, maybe we're thinking God is going to show up and he's going to do something miraculous and amazing and he's going to do somebody, uh, he's going to do this through somebody in a position of power, somebody who's wealthy, somebody who has a big platform. And I think often we just get caught looking in the wrong place for God to work when actually God's at work in these very small places with small people. In uh, around 1932, a young man um, 
applied for membership to his local youth group. I guess back then, I don't know, I wasn't there. You had to apply to become a member of a youth group, and there was kind of a process, and he was rejected. He was considered too worldly to be a part of this youth group. Thankfully for him, he went to a tent revival a couple years later and gave his life to Christ. And soon after that, he went to Bob Jones College because he felt like he wanted to be a preacher. He, at Bob Jones College, he found that the environment was really too strict and legalistic for him, and he broke a lot of rules, and he almost got kicked out. But he really wanted to preach, so that he stayed. He started preaching. A few years after that, he, he became convinced, after he'd been preaching for a couple years, that the Bible was the inspired, infallible Word of God. And so you think, man, what a... What, I mean, this guy, we're, we're not too sure about this guy. He got... Rejected by his youth group. He almost got kicked out of Bible college. He didn't really, wasn't sure what he believed about the Bible for a long time. But it's estimated that over 3 million people have come to Christ as a result of the preaching of Billy Graham. It's a small beginning, right? It it didn't seem like much at the time. And God used it to do something powerful and amazing. And I think if we can get our minds around the idea that God starts small, maybe we can start to believe that he can do something in me. Maybe God can actually use me. I wonder if that's what Mary was thinking when the angel comes to her. Let's back up and let's read a little bit about Mary's story in Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I love that response. It's very human. I think, you know, the angel's going on and on about, he's going to be the son of the most high. He's going to reign on the throne of his father, David. There will be no end to his kingdom. And Mary's like, back up, back up, back up. I didn't hear anything after you said, I'm going to conceive and give birth to a son. I, how, what, how does that work? She's got a very human response, and I think sometimes we look at these people from Scripture, and we think, well, yeah, they just kind of rolled with it. They expected God to do amazing things, and they just kind of went along with everything, but oh, Mary's got a very real response. What? I'm going to have a baby? Let's, let's start there. Can we just start with that? Because that doesn't make sense. Well, the angel continues, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think Mary's second response is pretty incredible as well. I think we see God calling people into big stories all over scripture. God going to small people and saying, hey, you're going to be a part of something big that I'm doing. And a lot of times we see these people kind of take a step back and maybe say, I'm not sure 
you've got the right person. Remember when God called Moses and said, hey, you're going to be my guy. I'm going to send you to the Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, and you're going to tell him to let my people go. And he's going to argue with you, and then you're going to prove, you're going to do some things, you're going to prove some miracles, and, and eventually you're going to set my people free. And Moses didn't say, let it be to me according to your word. Moses said, no thanks. I, I think you got the wrong guy. I, I, I don't talk too pretty, God. I don't, I don't know you want me speaking for you. My grammar's not so good. I kind of get stumbled on my words. Moses didn't really want this job. He tried to get out of it. God goes to Gideon when the Israelites have been overcome by the Midianites. And he says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, is there another Gideon? Who was he talking to? I don't, I'm not a mighty warrior. God says, yeah, you're going to raise this army and you're going to set my people free. And Gideon put God through a bunch of tests because Gideon was pretty sure that God had the wrong guy. And he was trying to prove it. God goes to Isaiah and Jeremiah, and he tells them both, hey, you're going to be a prophet. I'm going to speak through you. And both of the guys are like, I don't think so. I think I'm the wrong guy for this job. But he goes to Mary, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm inviting you into something really incredible. I'm about to change the world. You want to be a part of this? And she says, sure, whatever you say, God. Mary had no idea how this was all going to work. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know what it was going to cost her to say yes to this. But she said yes. It seems like a really small step of, of receiving God's offer and stepping into what he's doing. But it led to something really big. And I think this is important for us. I think if we can get this truth that God starts small, we can think that maybe, maybe I can start small too. Maybe I don't have to win thousands of people to Christ. Maybe I just need to share my faith with one. Maybe, maybe I don't have to, uh, you know, mend all the broken relationships in the world. Maybe I just need to start with the broken relationship in my life. Maybe I can start small too. Uh, Jesus talked to his disciples about this. They came to him with this question, Luke chapter 17, chapter Luke 17, 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Isn't that a great request to go to God with? God, I want, I want an enormous faith. I want this huge faith that, that just everyone can see and I, just, I can barely get my arms around it. I want, I want a big faith. Doesn't that feel like the right prayer? A big faith can do big things, right? Like if I can have a mountain-sized faith, maybe I can move mountains. What is Jesus' response to their request? The Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus is saying, yeah, you need faith, but you're, you're kind of getting this upside down. You don't need this huge mountain-sized faith. In fact, if you just have a little bit of faith in a really big God, impossible things become possible. You can take this mulberry tree and plant it in the sea. That's not where mulberry trees go, right? We learned that in second grade, first grade, high school. I don't know what your education was like. Well, we, we know you don't grow trees in the ocean, right? And if you're a fan of the Old Testament, maybe one of the things you've noticed is that whenever they talk about trees, they're usually talking about people. Trees are kind of a symbol for people, usually God's people. And so Jesus, maybe the disciples are hearing this, and Jesus is saying, you, you can move people with just a little bit of faith, you can move people to a whole new place, a place that seems impossible. Just a little bit of faith, a mustard seed faith. And I think sometimes we just give up. 
We give up way too early on the things that God has called us into. These steps of faith that God puts before us, we give up because they seem too big and our faith just seems so small. What have you given up on? Have you ever thought or said or felt, I'll never be able to forgive, fill in the blank with a name? You know, it's really interesting when the disciples ask, increase our faith. Do you know what Jesus said right before that? If you have a Bible, you can look. Right before that, Jesus said, you need to be able to forgive someone 70 times 7. You should be able to forgive the same person 490 times. And I think what he was saying was, don't count. Don't bother counting. Just keep forgiving. And the disciples' response to that was, um, we're going to need more faith. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I can forgive the same person over and over and over again. We're going to need huge faith for that, Jesus. You're going to have to give us big faith. And he says, no, you just need faith the size of a mustard seed and a God that's bigger than the universe. And you can do this. What have you given up on? Have you given up on forgiving somebody? Have you given up on overcoming an addiction? You just said, this is just who I am. I'm just always going to be this way. I can't get out of it. Have you given up on getting out of debt? You just thought, well, this is a hole too deep to climb out of. This is just my lot in life. Have you given up on someone you know turning to Jesus? You just said they're never going to change. They're too stubborn. They're too set in their ways of thinking. Have you given up on you changing? Have you thought, I'm just always going to be sad? I think I'm always going to be angry. I'm always going to be ashamed. I'm always going to feel inadequate. What have you given up on? Sometimes when we give up on these things, I think what we're, what we're saying is, God hasn't stepped in and done some huge miracle to rescue me from this, and so I guess it's never going to happen. Because we keep looking for God in these dramatic supernatural events. Well, I, I absolutely believe that God does miracles, that the supernatural is something that he's got a pretty good handle on. But I think sometimes we get caught looking in the wrong direction. What if the big event that you're looking for in order for things to change in your life is just a small step of obedience? Just like Mary being able to say, let it be to me according to your word. You want me to forgive? I just, Jesus, I just have this much faith. But I believe in a big God, so I'll forgive. What? What would change? What would be different if you would take that small step in the direction of what God is already doing? Let me be really clear. I don't, I don't think that this applies when we're taking steps in directions that just benefit ourselves. I don't think God is, is saying, hey, you need to take some steps in, you know, getting as wealthy as you can or, you know, being as famous as you can be. I think he's saying when you take steps in the direction of what God is already doing, just like he invited Mary. Mary didn't go to God with her plan for saving the world and say, all right, God, I got this idea. What if I have a baby and, and that baby grows up and, and people believe he's the son of God and, and, and what if he dies? I think Mary's plan would have been a little short-sighted. I'm not sure she would have thought of the resurrection I'm not sure she would have thought of a lot of things. But Mary doesn't go to God with her plan. God goes to Mary with his plan. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. And I would love for you to be a part of this. And all it took for her was one small step of obedience. Just mustard seed sized faith to say, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what it's going to cost. 
but let it be to me according to your word. If we could just apply that to whatever the step is in front of us, what could change? If you just had enough faith to take one small step, what would that step be? Maybe it would be to forgive someone who hurt you or your family. Just to sit down with them, make a phone call this afternoon, and say, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I want things to be right between us. That may feel like a really big step for you. But in the grand scheme of what God is doing, it's small. You can do it. It just takes a little bit of faith. What if the next step for you is to finally admit that you cannot conquer this addiction on your own? You can't do it on your own. You've been trying and you thought, well, I just need to try harder. I need to try harder. I need to try harder. I'll try harder next time. I'll do better next time. And you're stuck in a cycle. What if the next small step for you that probably feels like a huge leap, what if it's just to reach out and get some help and admit that you can't do it on your own? What if the next small step for you is to learn a new way to manage your finances, to recognize the way I'm doing things ain't working. I need something new. Maybe I need to take a class. Maybe I need to reach out to an expert. But I need to learn a new way because this way ain't working. What is the next small step for you? I want you to think about the person that you've given up on turning to Christ. You prayed for him for a long time. You've said all the words you know to say and nothing's changing. And so you kind of gave up. What if the next small step for you is just to keep praying, to start again? Be faithful in your prayers. What if the next small step is for you to try a new approach? You've been, you've been trying the same approach over and over again. You've been trying this logical, I'm going to convince them, I'm going to, I'm going to win them with, with my intellect. What if, what if you need a different approach, a humble approach? Maybe you just need to try something new. What if that next small step leads to something really big? What, what if the next small step, if you've just decided I'm just always going to be sad or angry or ashamed or inadequate, what if that next small step for you is just to go to a counselor? I think for a lot of people that feels like a big step. I think a lot of us were raised in a culture that said counseling, ah, uh, that's not for me. Counseling is for broken people. Well, guess what? That's true. You know what else is true? We're all broken. We all could use some counseling. So what if that next small step is for you to reach out to a counselor so that you have somebody to talk through this stuff with? Maybe you can make some progress. What if the next small step that you take leads to something really big in someone else's life? I believe that's what God wants to do. I believe that that's why the Christmas story, when you just read it on the pages of Scripture, it feels so small. It, it, it feels so like passed over. Like who really even noticed? Why, why didn't the whole world change when this baby comes into the world? Why didn't they throw parties like we throw now at Christmas? I think God starts small. I think he loves to take small people with small faith and do big things. He did it then, and I think he still does it today. Maybe you've thought, I'm too small. I'm not important. I don't have a lot of influence. Not a lot of people listen to me. I don't have a lot of money. I'm too small. Maybe you've thought, my faith is too small. I don't have this huge faith. I don't have a faith that people can see coming for miles. 
you're just the right kind of person for God to use to do the impossible. He uses small people with small faith to do the impossible all the time. All you have to do is take one small step of obedience in the direction of what God is already doing in the world. When we take responsibility for that little step, God takes responsibility for the big stuff. God's the one who moves mountains. And we just take these little steps of faith. What's a mountain that you want to see moved in your life? What's the mulberry tree, the person that you want to see uprooted and planted in a whole new place? Jesus says you don't, you don't need mountain-sized faith for that. You need mustard seed-sized faith for that because a little bit of faith in a really big God does the impossible. Uh, we're going to take some time and pray. And here's what I want you to pray along with me. Would you just go before God with me this morning and ask him what, what is the next right step for me to take? What, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do around me, in me, through me? What is the next small step for me to take? Do I need to mend a relationship? Do I, need to, do I need to get help? Do I need to try a new approach with someone? What is the next small step for me to take, God? And then pray for the Spirit to fill you with the courage to take that step. Would you do that with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this demonstration of how you sort of go about things that seems upside down to us. That you, you look for small people with small faith and you do big things. And God, I'm, I'm glad for that story because we're, we're a room full of small people with small faith. But God, we desperately want to see you do big things. I pray that you would put it on our hearts this morning, on my heart and, and the hearts of my brothers and sisters here, just to know what that next step is. To be able to see just one step down the road that we're supposed to take. And I pray that you fill us up with your spirit so we have the courage to take it. God, we're going to take responsibility for the small step. We're going to look to you to move mountains. Would you do that in us, through us, for your glory? In Christ's name, amen.